Most of us remember some of those contemporary tongue twisters like Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers. But I'd like to have us try a different one this morning. We're going to do it all together as a group. I want you to be able to say Irish wristwatch four times in a row very fast. Okay, I'm going to count to three and we're all going to try it. Ready? We'll have it up here on the screen just so you can see it. Ready? On the count of three. One, two, three. Irish wristwatch, Irish wristwatch, Irish wristwatch, Irish. All right, now, I want you to tell the truth. How many of you, like me, messed it up? Okay, it's a hard one. I'd never heard that one before until I researched it for this message today. It's a tough tongue twister. But today I want to talk to you about truth twisting. About saying that we'll do certain things versus telling the truth and being a person of integrity with our words. And that's really what Jesus is talking about in this section of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5 is our text, verses 33 through 37. Let me read the text and then we'll get into the message this morning. We're going to look at three statements of fact about how we use our words or how we abuse our words and the impact that has on others and especially on God. Verse 33, Jesus says, Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not make false vows, but you shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make any oath by your head, For you cannot make one hair black or white. But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. And anything beyond these is of evil. I want to share with you these three statements of fact about how we use our words or abuse them. I want us to consider the the important matter of being people of integrity with our words. Jesus talks in this section of the Sermon on the Mount about the importance of our words, about being truthful people, because God is truth. And God sees that it's important for us to keep our promises to God and to others. You've all uh, seen uh, pictures of uh, the character Pinocchio. His uh, nose grows with every lie. I wonder sometimes if uh, if that were the case with real human beings, if we would have some extraordinarily long noses. That's for you to decide. But I'm talking this morning about, first of all, the fact that there are no degrees of truth. This part of the Sermon on the Mount focuses on the third of the Ten Commandments found in Exodus chapter 20. The third commandment is, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now we often associate that third commandment with 
using foul language or swearing or cussing. But that's really not the importance of that particular commandment. Rather, it is to forbid making promises with God's name as backing and then not following through with those promises. That means then that we uh, empty God's name of its value, of its intrinsic nature. The word vain means empty. That's what happens. We empty God's name of its glory and honor and value. And that's exactly what Jesus is stressing in this part of the Sermon on the Mount. He wants true followers of His, those who are living the God life instead of just the good life, to be people of truth, to always tell the truth, to always honor God's revealed truth in His Word. After all, the very person who's preaching this sermon in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 is Jesus, the God-man, who says in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I want to stop just for a second and talk about this important matter of words as it relates to God. And I want us to remember, sometimes we forget this, that God speaks our language. Aren't you glad for that? And I don't necessarily mean English. But that God communicates with man. God talks with men. God gives us His truth in words we can understand by the power of the Holy Spirit. God speaks our language. It started, didn't it, all the way back in Genesis chapter 1 in the account of creation. Again and again with each day of creation, those 24-hour literal days of creation, we hear the phrase, and God said, let there be light. And God said, let the firmament divide from the earth. God said. I'm thankful today, I hope you are, that God speaks to us. He hasn't left us without truth. He hasn't left us without a revelation of Himself both written in the Word of God and through His Son, the Lord Jesus. I'm glad for that. What I want us to see now is that walking God's way, walking the God life, is tied directly to truthfulness in every area of our lives. So the issue here is integrity. The issue here is being a person of honest character, no matter what the cost. And that brings us to this very important point, and that is for the Christian, there is no such thing as a justifiable lie or a little white lie. A lie is a lie. Truth is truth. There are no degrees of truth. Now, when Jesus talks about this matter of oath-taking, He's not, by the way, saying that it is wrong for a person to put their hand on a Bible in a courtroom and raise their right hand and swear to tell the whole truth. He's not saying that that's wrong. There are some religious groups, some Mennonite groups, some Quakers, who uh, believe that that's what he's talking about here, that you can't make that kind of promise even in a courtroom. But I don't believe that's what the passage is talking about. 
It's a subject of honesty and integrity. And I find it interesting that this comes right on the heels of Jesus' teaching about the holy character of lifelong marriage. So when I stand next to my wife-to-be and make vows to her, and she makes vows to me before God and before a company of people, that's serious business with God. Those words are meant to be taken by my mate as something that will last for a lifetime. Not just until something goes wrong in the marriage. My mate should be able to believe those words and promises and hang on to them for life. We all are well aware, especially in an election year like this one now, just a month plus into the election year, We're all well aware of uh, how politicians misuse their words. All right, let's say it truthfully. They lie. That's what politicians do. Especially when it comes to campaign promises. Their word is changeable. Their word is uncertain. You can never really trust most of our politicians. But Jesus is reminding his listeners here, especially in verse 33, there is a commandment to not take the name of the Lord in vain. Don't empty it of its significance. Instead, fulfill your vows to the Lord. Making promises to God and not keeping them is a serious offense. How serious? Well, let me give you one example. New Testament, Acts chapter 5. Some people in the early church in Jerusalem were selling properties and giving the money to the church for the care of the poor. One married couple, Ananias and Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and I'm just picking a number now. Let's say they sold it for $10,000. And... uh, Then they come to Peter and the rest of the apostles and say, here's 5,000. We sold our property. They could have kept all the 10,000. They didn't have to give any of it to the church. But they lied about how much they sold the property for. They kept some of it for themselves, which they had the right to do. But they lied. And it was such serious business that Peter said to them, you have not lied to men, but to God. And immediately Ananias fell down dead. A little later his wife came in with the same story. They would rehearsed it. And Peter said essentially the same thing to her. And she too fell dead on the floor. Maybe they thought that since God is way up there in heaven, he can't listen in on their private conversation about how much they're going to keep out of the sale of the property. But that leads us to the second point of our text today that refutes that idea completely, and that is that there is no place where God is not. Look at verse 34. But I say to you, this is Jesus now, God in the flesh, I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. It might help to have some background here. 
the Jewish leaders of Jesus' day had a sinful and I would call self-serving take on the third commandment. They taught that if you wanted to make a, a promise or take, take a vow that you didn't want to be locked into long term, then all you had to do was, instead of using God's name, use somebody else's name. Or instead of referring to uh, God in His holy splendor, you refer to a, a place like Jerusalem or the ground we walk on. Something or someone else is what you tie your promise to. And then if you don't keep it, then it's no big deal. That's exactly what the Jewish rabbis and Pharisees and Sadducees taught. They forgot the obvious truth that God is everywhere present at all times. The big... uh, Theological word for that is the omnipresence of God. He's all over. He's everywhere. Because He's Spirit, He's not limited to a place. He's everywhere at the same time. So Jesus promises, where two or three are gathered in My name, there I am in the midst. That means He can be with us, and He is this morning in this service. But He's with countless other believers in countless other services of worship all over the the United States and around the world, all at the same time. Isn't that amazing? I can't fully understand that, but that's what the Bible teaches. The everywhere presence of God. And since that is the case, it also means that God sees all, hears all, and knows all. We can't run anything past God and have it not catch His attention. God is interested in every detail of our lives. That can be a good thing, can it? A wonderful truth that God cares about every detail of my life. But if I am one who is trying to use my words to deceive, that can be a very, very tough thing to deal with. So, if uh, Jesus says, if you tie your promise to heaven and say, by heaven I vow, well, guess what? God is there. That's His dwelling place. Isaiah 66, 1, God says, heaven is my footstool, my throne. If a person says, by this piece of dirt, or this property that I own, or this thing that I hold in my hand, I make a promise to you, that person is forgetting that God owns everything. It's not really mine, is it? God allows me to have it and use it. God allows me to own a piece of property. God allows me to have a church building. But it's really God's. It's really His. Or if I make a promise as a first century Jew and I say, I promise that I will do this or I'll never come back to Jerusalem again. I'll have to leave the city and never come back. So I'm promising by Jerusalem. Jesus says you're forgetting that Jerusalem is God's holy city. Psalm 48 verse 2 says that specifically. Jerusalem is God's holy city. But even as much 
the case, we forget that Scripture is very clear. Proverbs 12.22 Lying lips are an abomination to God. Proverbs 6 Verses 6 through 19 give us a list of seven things God hates. And number two on the list is He hates a lying tongue. Again, this is serious stuff to God. We often don't take it very seriously. We make a promise to someone such as, Oh, I'm going to be there at 10 o'clock. And then as if their time is less valuable than ours, we show up at 11. That's not right. Now, there may be some circumstance that delayed my coming. But these days, especially with cell phones and everything else, I can at least call the person and say, hey, I'm really running late here. I know I said I'd be there at 10, but it's going to be more like 10.45. But we do it all the time. All of us do it. We make promises that we don't always keep. We need to live our lives in such a way that every other person we come in contact with, especially God's people, but not just Christians, will be able to say, your word is enough for me. We used to have that kind of society. We used to be able to make business deals with a shake of a hand. Can't do that anymore. Or so it seems. Now everything's got to be written down. Everything's got to be a formal contract. It's unfortunate, but it's true. But how much better it would be if in regard to our relationship with the God of the universe, we were able to say honestly to Him, God, Your Word is everything to me. Not just it's enough, it's everything. But that would also then mean that we'd have to uh, be in God's Word, wouldn't it? Not just that we own a Bible, or that there's one on our shelf, or that we grab one when we come into the church building because we didn't bring our own, or we may not have one. It means that I'm spending time in God's Word, and His Word is everything to me. If our attitude is, God, your word is everything to me, then this third part of our message where I want to spend the bulk of our time today is true. And that is that there's no reason to mislead with our words. Verse 36, Nor shall you make an oath by your head. Stop there just for a moment. Can you imagine... How silly it would be for someone like myself who's accident prone, who uh, just this morning sustained a cut on my uh, shaved skull. Uh, it's quite a, quite a tough one that bled for a long time. Can you imagine how silly it would be for me to say to someone, I promise you that I'm not going to cut my head open for a year. You laugh because you know that's not going to happen. Sometime during the year, starting today again, it's going to happen. But how silly to make a vow by your head. Jesus says, you can't change your hair color. Well, with dye you can, but it comes back to what it was, right? 
You can't really change your, your hair color just by saying you're going to change it. If you've got a, a head full of gray hair, you can't just by saying it change it to black hair and make yourself look 20 years younger. It's not going to happen. The point of his statement here is we need to say yes and no and have it mean yes and no. Let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. We've all used that expression, at least when we were kids. Cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. Remember that? You may also remember what we used to do. I know I did it when I'd use that little phrase with my friends. I'd have my, I'd have my fingers crossed behind my back while I'm saying it. Cross my heart, hope to die. And the reason I had my fingers crossed is I didn't plan on keeping it. It was just a ploy. I was just pretending to be a person of my word. In the same way, you can't make your hair change colors just by saying it. Jesus' final punch in the face of this false teaching of the Jewish leaders is when he reminds them to simply say yes or no. You don't need more than that. Yes, but is not the same as yes. No, but is not the same as no. Ever wonder why it is that we lie? Can we be honest about lying? Sounds weird, but I want to take a moment to be honest about lying. Why do we do it? One reason is because we want to cover our real motives. But I want you to be aware this morning, and I know you are already, but I'll remind you, God knows our motives. He knows what's stirring in our brain before it ever comes out of our mouth, as we read in our scripture reading this morning. Sometimes we lie to flatter someone for selfish purposes. Like the woman who was a uh, school teacher and uh, she'd been sick for a while and when she finally came back to the classroom one of the students informed her that the class voted 15 to 4 that they were hoping she'd get better. (laughs) 15 to 4. I'm sure the four didn't want to identify themselves. Sometimes we lie because we're flattering someone. We're not flattering them to make them feel better. We're flattering them because we want to feel better about our attitude toward them. God knows our purposes, so flattery for selfish purposes, God already knows that. Sometimes we lie to hide our fear of admitting the truth. We don't want someone to really know what's going on in our lives. But I want you to know today, God is not the author of fear. So I can be honest, especially with God, but also with those to whom I am accountable. 
We are representatives of the living God. Here on earth, while Jesus is in heaven, and He is also living in our hearts, we are representatives of the living God. And because God is truth, and He's the author of truth, we also need to be truthful people. We need to remember that lying destroys relationships. It doesn't build people up. One of our assignments in the uh, the end of your on the back side of your page today uh, says when you speak God's word to people and give it in love, you edify or build them up. And remember, Jesus said in John chapter eight verse thirty two, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall what set you free. It's a very freeing thing to be totally honest with God and then with others. It is right, by the way, to make certain vows even before God. Vows that we fully intend to keep because they're good vows. I'll give you an example from the Apostle Paul's life. In Romans chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, here's what he says. For God is my witness. He's bringing God into this, into his vow to pray. God is my witness whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers making requests, if perhaps now at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you. He's made a vow. Saying, if, if you don't believe me, ask God. God knows how much I pray for you. There's nothing wrong with that kind of promise or vow if we fully intend to keep it by God's power. I love this passage in Isaiah 55. Let me read it beginning at verse 8. God is speaking here. Isaiah 55, verse 8. My thoughts are not your thoughts nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout, and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be, which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter in which I sent it. God is saying simply this, I will keep my word and my word will accomplish what I want it to do. But the same ought to be true for us as God's people. That we too ought to keep our word so that it will accomplish what God wants it to accomplish in building others up and blessing them in wonderful ways. In one church, there was a businessman who was battling a life-threatening illness. His pastor called on him in the hospital and he actually told the minister, if God brings me through this, I promise I'll give a million dollars to the church building program. 
Well, he did make it through that physical battle, and soon he ran into the pastor on the street. The pastor said, So, now that you're doing better, are you going to keep that promise to give a million dollars to the church? The businessman responded, Did I really say that? Well, it just goes to show you how sick I really was. He didn't intend to keep it. Making empty promises is totally unnecessary for God's people. Making empty promises or vows is totally unnecessary for people of truth. People who are seeking to live the God life. And the reason is because we are seeking to replicate the character of God. The character of our Savior who is truth and who loves truth and who blesses those who live and speak truth. It also states in your notes this morning, since God is truth, He expects His children to speak truth. And that's especially true within the family of God. Listen to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth every one of you with his neighbor. Why? For we are members of one another. If we belong to the same family, if we're members of the body of Christ, we need to be honest with each other. We need to speak truth. We need to build up, not tear down. We need to use our words in a way that it will honor God. God is looking for people like that. He's searching the globe. Not that He doesn't know where we are, but He's looking around for people who are honest, people of integrity, people whose hearts are totally given over to the Lord. And they're not worried about someone thinking that they're going to be cheating them or lying to them or breaking a promise. 2 Chronicles 16 verse 9 says, The eye of the Lord moves to and fro fro throughout the earth that He may strongly support those whose heart is completely His. It's a picture of God scanning the horizon of earth looking for people of integrity, people whose heart is totally given over to Him. And that's really what Jesus is emphasizing here in the Sermon on the Mount. Right from the beginning, right from the first of the Beatitudes, and through each of these sections that we've talked about, demonstrating the difference between a person living the God life and somebody just getting by or seeking in their mind to live the good life. The Christian correctly uses his or her words. They're careful about their words. They don't say too much. And they certainly don't say too little. They ask God in prayer, what can I say to help my brother or sister spiritually? What can I say that will demonstrate to the people out there in the city of Preston that I'm a person of integrity, that my character reflects the character of God. We're going to close our service this morning with a song that is beautiful and has a powerful message.
It simply says, let my words be few. And when it comes to God and who He is, when we think about how awesome God is, it's probably better just to keep our words a few, few in number and let God be the one who gets all the glory. So we're going to stand and sing it together. The chorus says, in fact, I stand in awe of you. Let's sing it together as we close.